Before we get started, I wanted to give a disclaimer for this week's episode. Some of the terms used in this podcast are outdated and were used only to reflect the attitude and narrative at the time of these events. In no means are they used to diminish or insult the groups which they are associated with. Why are you here today? Darling, I want my gay rights now. I think it's about time the gay brothers and sisters got their rights, and especially the women. How will this affect you and your job? Darling, I don't have a job. I'm on welfare. I have no intention of getting a job as long as this country discriminates against homosexuals. There's only homosexuals, bisexuals, and trisexuals, darling. And there's no straight people. Because it is trying out women, honey. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am stay at home for you called self. So, you can count your karma if Nirvana is your goal. You can shake and you can rattle. You can rock and roll. You can be a Clark Kent or a Lois or an Alice down a hole. You can be a vampire on a mountain with the heart of stone black coal. You can be a leather angel on a sleek black holly bike. Uh-huh. Or a redhead screaming faggot or a dazzling giant. You can lock yourself in a closet in a finding soul, but it really doesn't matter if you ain't got soul. When Marsha P. Johnson stepped off a bus onto the streets of New York in 1963, just after graduating high school, she had a bag of clothes and $15 to her name. Little did she know that her name would don the side of buildings and statues built to honor her and her activist work in the LGBTQ community today. But not unlike many leaders of revolution, Marsha paid the ultimate price when her body was later found floating in the Hudson River in New York. Was it a suicide? A tragic accident? Or was someone trying to silence a voice of activism? I'm your host, Michael. And this is Strange and Unexplained. Marsha P. Johnson was born in Elizabeth, New Jersey, to Father Malcolm Michaels Sr., whom she was named after, and Mother Alberta Claiborne. On August 24, 1945, she was the fifth of seven children. Marsha was interviewed in 1992, just days before her death, and in this interview, she said her mother told her that being gay was, quote, lower than the dog. 
Marsha first started wearing dresses at the age of five, but quickly stopped due to the harassment she received from neighborhood boys. I was young, but I was young and naive when I started wearing dresses at five years old, and I stopped for a long time because the boys next door used to try and get fresh with me, you know, try and have sex. Honey, I don't believe you should have sex until after you're married. I found out that boys do have sex when I was raped by this boy who was about, uh, he was about 13 years old, and he put me in between my legs and, uh, you know, he Marcia continued with her Christian faith all through her adult life, leaning heavily towards Catholicism. Marcia came to New York in 63 in hopes that she would find a like-minded and accepting community among the LGBT community there. Unfortunately, that was not the case. Because Marcia was a black trans person, she did not fit the agenda of the mainly cisgender and white community that was currently fighting for equality. A friend of Marsha's, James Gallagher, said Marsha was a subculture within a subculture. Marsha was arrested countless times during the 60s as it was illegal to dance with someone of the same sex, to serve alcohol to gays, or even to cross-dress. In the early 60s, the term transgender was not widely known, or used to describe people. So Marsha identified as a queer, a transvestite, or as a drag queen. As human rights activist and artist Tommy Lanigan Schmidt put it, quote, gay people were scheduled for non-existence. It was so different then was gay people were scheduled for non-existence. In other words, we were supposed to have no reality called gay, homosexual, except to be in a mental institution getting shock treatments or getting fired from a job. If you were found as a man dressing as a woman, you would be arrested for sexual deviance. And gay bars had to be disguised and hidden, and often had warning systems set up for when police arrived. But to the people who knew her, Marcia was a saint, someone who would give away her last dollar 
if she saw someone else who needed it. When Marsha first landed in New York, she started waiting tables and was event- and eventually turned to sex work in order to get by. Even so, for most of her early years, Marsha was homeless living on the streets like most black, gay, or trans kids at the time. Eventually, Marsha found her people among the drag queen scene. She recalled how she was one of the first girls to go to the famous Stonewall Bar, an all-male bar in full drag. I didn't get into it right away. I was like a butch makeup queen working at Reading Village. And then I started doing little different drag. And I started wearing little high heel shoes, you know. And I started putting on stockings. And I started becoming a drag queen. I was one of the Stonewall girls. One of the first girls to ever come in drag to the Stonewall. 1969 when the Stonewall riots started, that's when I started my little rioting. David Carter, author of the book Stonewall, had this to say about Marsha and the Stonewall riots. When Jerry Hoos, who was the founder of the Gay Liberation Front, arrived at the Stonewall Inn that night, uh, he was met by his friend John Goodman. And John Goodman told him that the, soon after Jackie Harmona started fighting the police, that both Marsha Johnson and Zazu Nova joined in. I've been gay liberation ever since the first died in 1969. I was in the Stonewall riots. After the riots, Morty Manford and Marty Robinson, both very important figures in the Gay Activist Alliance, both told Robin Souza that Marsha Johnson was involved in starting the riots. The story that Robin Souza then told me was that Marsha Johnson said, I got my civil rights and then threw a shot glass into a mirror and that started the riots. Uh, in GAA, this became known as the shot glass that was heard around the world. In this case, the mythology reflects the facts, and I think that when we weigh all the evidence together, we have to conclude it's extremely likely that she was among the first to physically resist the police. So that's one opinion, right? That's one story, um, which, from a well-researched uh, gentleman, I feel like that's a very respectable opinion, but yet it is still, it's still hearsay, and none of this was ever proven. And Marsha actually was quoted, she even said herself that she didn't get there until the fires were burning. But either way, she became one of the faces of the queer movement of that time. The Stonewall Inn on Christopher Street and 7th Avenue was being targeted by police and had been raided just the day before. Johnson claimed she was forced into the street with many other queens and they were frisked and harassed, but eventually let go. Then the police arrived the very next night apparently with the intent to burn down Stonewall. This ignited a riot that spilled over into the streets and lasted several days. The Stonewall incident and subsequent riots are now known as the catalyst of the gay movement. Stonewall also gave birth to the first gay pride parade, which was held on the one-year anniversary of the Stonewall raids. However, Marsha and her friends were not exactly included in this gay pride pride parade, at least not the way they wanted to be, just yet. The gay community didn't want drag queens in front of their movement because they felt they weren't taken seriously if they included the trans people. As a whole, the movement wouldn't be taken seriously. It was their frame of mind. They even tried to ban transvestites from being in the parade in 1978. 
And during a pride parade in 1973, Marsha's good friend, Sylvia Rivera, and another activist were actually booed at the parade when Sylvia tried to appeal to the gay community. She explained how she had been raped in prison and lost her job and home fighting for gay rights. Real quick, I want to give you guys a little bit of context on STAR. STAR stands for Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries. It was a gay, gender, non-conforming, and transgender street activist organization that was founded in 1970 by Sylvia and Marsha themselves. I have been to jail. I have been raped and beaten many times by men, heterosexual men, that do not belong in the homosexual shelter. But do you do anything for them? No, you all tell me to go and hide my tail between my legs. I will not no longer put up with this shit. I have been beaten. I have had my nose broken. I have been thrown in jail. I have lost my job. I have lost my apartment for gay liberation. And you all treat me this way? What the fuck's wrong with you all? Think about that. I do not believe in a revolution, but you all do. I believe in the gay power. I believe in us getting our rights, or else I would not be out there fighting for our rights. That's all I wanted to say to your people. If you all want to know about the people that are in jail, and do not forget Bambi Lamore, and Dora Marks, Kenny Messner, and other gay people that are in jail, come and see the people at Starhouse on 12th Street, on 640 East 12th Street, between B and C, apartment 14, the people that are trying to do something for all of us and not men and women that belong to a white middle class, white club. And that's what you all belong to. 
So basically during that parade, uh, the compromise was that drag queens and trans people were asked to march at the back of the parade. Um, and like I mentioned before, even though Sylvia and Marsha had founded Star, um, which greatly helped um, homeless, especially homeless, transgender youth, uh, it helped them with food, clothes, and even housing. They had basically basically like an, an open-door halfway house where these these basic kids, really, very young people, could come and go that weren't accepted when their families, weren't accepted in their neighborhoods, um, and they had a place to live, somewhere off the street, somewhere that wasn't in a bar or in a club that they could find shelter. So it's very hard um, to talk about Marsha P. Johnson without mentioning Silva, Sylvia Rivera, um, and she will, she will come up again. But let's get back to Marsha. So by 1972, Marsha was performing with the drag theater company known as, quote, Hot Peaches. She was performing around the world. Pretty entertaining, actually. There's quite a bit of video and stuff about some of the um, performances um, that Marsha did. Mostly Marsha. She was kind of the star of the show. I mean, Marsha was kind of the star wherever she went. She kind of demanded that kind of attention. Not verbally. Um, she just got it. You know what I mean? And she wasn't the greatest vocalist. Um, she wasn't the greatest performer. But her personality and her spark, it just had an influence on people. And in the summer of 1973, Marsha was invited by famed artist Andy Warhol to sit for a piece he was doing called Ladies and Gentlemen. In this piece, Andy focused on drag queens and trans women, primarily of color. Eventually, in 1980, Marsha took her seat at the front of the parade in the Stonewall car and rode there almost every year up until her death in 1992. Marsha was also one of the earliest members of ACT UP, which, defined by actupny.org, um, is a diverse, nonpartisan group of individuals united in anger and committed to direct action to end the AIDS crisis. Um, she was also, obviously, an AIDS advocate, and she had helped a friend who was suffering from AIDS, even up until the last days of her life. She was like a caretaker or a nurse for him, and was in the room when he passed. She spoke about how that led to a breakdown, and she wanted to be there for other people suffering from the same thing, she also revealed just before her death that she too had been living with HIV for two years. Now some of this, knowing what happens to Marsha, some of this could point to suicide. Um, losing a friend, um, she did give some things away at the end of her life, um, but she was always giving things away, right? And she had many a friends and she also had a purpose that she took very seriously that she was still living for. So, Let's get to her death. Let's talk a little more about that, right? So Marsha's body was found floating beneath Christopher St Street Pier 
at 5.30 p.m. on June 6, 1992. Marcia was last seen on the evening of June 4, 1992 by witnesses. They claimed she looked scared, and she thought she was being followed by two men. The atmosphere around Marcia at the time was described as volatile and unstable, so the police quickly slapped a suicide sticker as cause on Marcia's case, and that was pretty much it. However, all her friends and family did not believe that she was suicidal and advocated for the police to open an investigation, but to no avail. On the day of Marcia's funeral, a large crowd gathered and marched in support of Marcia. They walked led by friends Randy Wicker and Sylvia Rivera. Her ashes ended up being scattered in the Hudson River. Marcia was known as the mother of the transgender community and did what she could to get equality for such a despised group of people. Her actions and that of those around her changed many legislations, but the trans community has yet to achieve the equal rights that Marcia so passionately fought for. In 2016, a woman by the name of Victoria Cruz, who was working with the Anti-Violence Project, tried to get Marcia's case reopened before her retirement. She re-interviewed friends and family. She attempted to contact the original officers working Marcia's case, but was met with rebuff, to say the least. Not only was she met with rebuff, she was met with a rude, calloused attitude, in my opinion, um, that wanted no part or just didn't care. A 2017 documentary, The Life and Death of Marsha P. Johnson, which is available on Netflix, by the way, a highly recommended watch. Um, but this documentary follows Victoria Cruz through her investigation it also shines a light on just how much Marsha and Sylvia meant to the LGBT movement and how far they have come. But unfortunately, it was also very apparent through watching this documentary that they still have a long way to go. The only evidence that Victoria Cruz could, could even get her hands on was the autopsy report um, by the coroner, and it's it really didn't say much. Um, it said that the cause of death um, was drowning, and also that she had a not really a hole in her head. There was a witness that said that he saw the body floating in the river, and it appeared that her head was up, her feet were down, and there was a hole in the side of her head, or a or a at least some sort of indention. In her head. Um, but the coroner, in the coroner report, it wrote it off as loose skin, almost. And the specialist that Victoria Cruz had read over the report, he said that that, can, that kind of abrasion could have been caused by floating debris or maybe just from the water softening the skin in, in that area. It's, it's very hard to tell. Um, but needless to say, there were a lot of strange circumstances around Marsh's death. She was truly becoming a profound figure. She already was a profound figure in this movement. But in the early 90s, they were really, really starting to gain steam. I believe they were becoming taking, they were being taken more seriously. Um, and the movement was, was picking up. I mean, definitely better than the 60s. And with her fame and her influence, and her her style, her personality, it was just it was too magnetic, I think. And I feel like this 
was bound to happen to her. She was just too, too loud. It just makes people uncomfortable. People that don't understand the culture, people that don't understand the lifestyle, people that they're, they're terrified of things that they don't understand. And Marsha P. Johnson was an incredibly complicated person. Okay, it, it just doesn't make sense that she would have committed suicide in this way. Now, possibly, possibly, people commit suicide every day and there's no signs, right? Every day. Um, but honestly, I think it's more likely in watching, in watching videos of her and hearing testimonies of her and, and also her religious beliefs, um, I just don't see her committing suicide, I feel like she had too much to live for. She had her faith. She had her friends. She had her purpose. Um, now, an accident? Possibly. But do I think it was just an accident? No. I tend to put a lot of weight in the fact that two men may have been following Marsha. Um, Marsha also spoke about, before her death, she talked about how she was afraid of being killed by the mob. And there were many... Because a lot of the bars in the area, a lot of the hangouts were, were run by the mafia, and they didn't want gays and transvestites in their clubs. So how they got rid of them was they, they killed them. I mean, for lack of a better term, they're, they're the mafia. They're paying off police. The police aren't looking into these cases anyways, right? So maybe she was on to something there. Maybe she wasn't just being paranoid. Maybe there was something else going on. And if nothing else, these two men at least chased her down the pier, in my opinion. Maybe, maybe, maybe somebody chased her down the pier and she fell. I mean, the pier was, was not in the best shape. Uh, there were many weak spots, um, places that you could have fallen through. It's just not, it's just not likely that Marsha P. committed suicide. And it's also not likely that we're ever going to have any answers to this case. But what I can give you is another opinion, a little more insight from good friend of mine, Lorne. So let's get into this week's Lorne synopsis, see what we can learn. It's time for Lorne. It's time for Lorne's synopsis. Breaking down the case like, breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lorne. It's time for Lawrence Synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lawrence Synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. What's up, people? Lauren here, here to get my thoughts on this week's Strange and Unexplained. The very sad death of Marsha P. Johnson popular figure in New York City streets for almost 30 years. She lived on the streets of New York, giving a voice to the trans and gay community, unapologetically herself, uh, born as a man, identified as a woman, dressing as a woman, um, and really boldly putting it in, every, in everyone's face and uh, just was not ashamed to be herself and gave so much confidence and bolstered that community um, to all the others like her to be able to be themselves, you know, and uh, did a whole lot, you know, modeled for Andy Warhol, performed on stage with different, uh, um, different drag queen groups, um, and was just, from all accounts of people that knew her, has so many friends still to this day uh, that, that say that she was just a great person and um, one of the earliest 
and most important um, and not well known, well enough known activists for trans women and gays. So um, yeah, so I, I watched the life and uh, the death and life of Marsha P. Johnson on Netflix, the 2016 documentary. Uh, very well done. Victoria Cruz of the Anti Violence Project and also a friend of Marsha P. Johnson um, is focused on in this and tried to get Johnson's case reopened as the death of Marsha P. Johnson was very suspect. Um, it was initially ruled a suicide. Um, however, it, she was not known as any of her friends to be a suicidal person. Um, she was, like, as I mentioned, very comfortable in her own skin um, and had a lot going for her still, you know even though she had some mental health problems, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, th also, the she was found floating in the Hudson River with what was reported as a large hole in her head. And that, uh, to me, never really got closure as far as how did that happen. I guess, you know, a forensic pathologist looked at it and said that it could have happened from something drifting and hitting her in the head after she was already dead. I'm not sure I buy that completely. And how, how did she end up in the river if she wasn't suicidal? Um, we'll get more, more on that in a minute, but also she was good friends with Sylvia Rivera, um, who was also focused on in that documentary, the death and life of Marsha P. Johnson. Um, Sylvia Rivera, Latin American gay liberation and transgender rights activist who got emboldened a lot by Marsha. Um, one of those people that was affected by Marsha, um, and went on to become a great activist herself. Um, and then I also looked at uh, Pay It No Mind, which is a 2012 documentary you can find on YouTube, and it has a lot of interview um, audio with Marsha shortly before she died. So it's very interesting. Um, now, back to the, the mysterious death of Marsha, though. Um, I don't believe it's a suicide. Um, now, there's, there's some things leading up um, that you could question about her mental health. Um, there was times where she was... Uh, talked about by friends that she had some uh, anger issues. Sometimes a violent side would emerge, and apparently she would even identify as a man during these times um, as Malcolm and would bring out a deeper voice. So there was some um, speculation that maybe she had a schizophrenic personality or multiple personalities, but she was on medication for those. And her mental illnesses didn't manifest themselves, according to her friends, as suicidal. You know, they would sometimes she would get violent. Um, and, and come out as a man at times, um, but never was she uh, on the verge of depressed or suicidal, had never shown any suicidal tendencies. And also very suspicious that um, on July 4th, shortly before she was found dead in the Hudson River, she was reportedly being followed. Um, several people saw her being followed and harassed by some street thugs that were known to the neighborhood. Um, some gay slurs were thrown her way, and it's possible that she was chased and ended up either falling into the Hudson River or was pushed into the Hudson River where she was unable to get out and drown um, or was sh shot or struck in the head, which would uh, explain the, the hole, the large hole in her head. Um, like I said, I'm not so sure I buy the whole some driftwood or something striking her head after she had passed. Um, the autopsy report was damn near impossible to get a hold of, even from people that were requesting for these reports and foot and all that uh, it took forever and then it's it, to me it just seemed like it was like we've seen so many times the police um in these times in the early 90s 80s 70s like the police didn't really care about people that lived on the street um especially trans people gay people there was not really they kind of had the mentality of well what what, what did they think was going to happen 
look at the lifestyle they're leading. You know, it's gonna, it's something bad's gonna happen eventually. So, and though I think it's, it is possible that this was an accident and that Marsha did fall into the Hudson River and wasn't able to make it out, um, I think it's more likely this was a result of a hate crime. Um, and it's happened all too many times and it happened again many times after Marsha in 92. It's happened all the way up into the 2000s, but I think the tide is moving in the right direction when it comes to um, people being a lot more accepting of everyone, regardless of their color, their gender, their sex, whatever whatever they choose to be as a person. I think we need to realize that variety is the spice of life and that everyone is different and beautiful in their own way and that just because they don't look or they sound or choose to do the things you do doesn't make them any less of a, a human being than you or give them any less rights than than anyone else you know and that's i think that's thankfully the way that our society is now moving and it's a good thing because there's enough violence perpetrated there has been enough of that through history on beautiful people like marcia just because they're different um marcia did nothing but spread positivity from by all accounts everyone that ever knew her and so for someone to you know be violent towards her just because she was living the life she wanted to live and not harming anyone in the process is despicable. And um, I hope that's a, a thing of the past sooner than later. And uh, yeah, that's my thoughts on this week's Strange and Unexplained. Hope you guys enjoyed it. See you next time. All right. Very thoughtful um, analysis as always, Lauren. Thank you very much. Also brought up a point uh, that I forgot to mention, which was there were some people in Marsha's life that did say that she had another side to her um, where Malcolm would reappear and it would be in anger um, and it would be uh, during stress and maybe she would become physical. But there was no evidence as to when this, when this side came out, right? So it, it's, you'd be a fool not to believe that almost every day that Marsha left her house or wherever she was staying, that she didn't come across some sort of conflict, some sort of conflict, some type of altercation that could have turned physical, correct? And in that type of altercation, you need to defend yourself any way that you can. You need to appear as strong and as intimidating as possible. Um, so for that type of thing, I don't fault her, and I could not find any evidence where she assaulted someone. Um, I couldn't find any evidence that she assaulted anyone in particular at all, um, much less unprovoked. But nonetheless, it is part of uh, Marsha's past. It is part of uh, her her mental state at the time. I think now people might would... Um, now I'm no I'm no therapist I'm no doctor but I think some people might diagnose her with a like a personality disorder or something of that sort um, not necessarily a schizophrenic uh, but maybe a multiple personality disorder or something along those lines and there was just no I don't think there was any name for that then they this wasn't it just seemed strange right it just seemed that when she was in drag she was playing a part. And then her true self came out during these times, of course. And also being a black person, whether she was identifying as a... I say she, 
throughout this entire episode, let me clarify, because everyone close to her said she. All of her closest friends, all the people in her videos, in her photos, everyone said she. So I assumed that's what she wanted to be called. That was the pronoun she wanted used. Um, but to be fair, I'm sure if she, there were times where she dressed as a man. She dressed in male clothing, attire. And I'm sure if she acted aggressive in any way, being a black man or appearing as a black man at that time, I'm sure it was blown out of proportion, um, much like it is now now in today's times in the things that we're going through now. Um, but we're making progress, I believe, and I believe revolutions are on the front. And hopefully if they're not, then we continue to do what we need to do to make that happen. Um, all right, guys. So enough of that heavy talk. Uh, I want to thank some supporters of the show. Best way you can support the show is patreon.com slash podcast. If you're already on Patreon, if you already support some of your other favorite podcasts on Patreon, you can log on to your Patreon app and search Strange and Unexplained. Uh, yes, you pretty much have to type it all out. I know it's a long name. I'm so sorry. Um, but that's the best way to support the show. You can jump on a $3 tier and it gets you um, early releases for all these episodes. Early releases are released on Thursdays and then the regular free uh, on the free platforms it'll be released on the following Monday. It also gets you access to all the both of the smaller shows that I do, um, which are the Palette Cleanser podcast and also Strange Shorts. Um, new editions of those will be out uh, very shortly. And then there is a $5 tier, which gets you the Strange and Unexplained exclusive uh, Patreon sticker and also access to anything video or visual that I put up on the Patreon page. Uh, so I want to give a shout out to a couple new patrons. Um, let's start with Hannah Cortade. Hannah Cortade, thank you very much. Uh, Lexi, Ashley Kitch, Kayla Bashiano, Joe Drevdahl and Brooke Goebel, who have all signed on in the last week. I appreciate that very, very much. But if you're unable to sign up for Patreon, there's still other ways that you can help the show. Um, you can leave a review. Leave a review on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or um, Podcast Addict or whatever you're listening on, uh, Google Play. You can leave a review on there. That helps the show a lot. I, I recently found out this week that Strange and Unexplained um, was ranked number 150 out of the top 200 true crime podcasts on iTunes. Guys, that that's huge. If we can, if I can stay in that top 200, the show can grow, as well as with True Crime Guys, uh, my other show as well. Staying in that top 200 in true crime um, helps a lot. And for me to be there in 10 episodes, that means people are listening, people are sharing, people are talking, and I appreciate that more than you could ever imagine. Um, so new reviewers, I always give a shout out. If you leave a review, um, and you don't only click five stars, but you also type something, some sort of, you know, your feelings about the show or whatever, then I can see your name and I will give you a shout. So I want to thank Miss Anna Banana, uh, three, four, three, uh, Miss Anna Banana 34. Sorry. I do I podcast. I don't, I don't know how to talk good. Um, she gave a five star review said, I love it. Thank you so much, uh, Miss Anna Banana. Uh, and Joe1210 left a five-star review. Um, not sure how I feel about his review, though, because he said, uh, despite the whole mayonnaise thing that made Lauren my favorite true crime guy, Michael does good work here. Okay, so what I'm getting from this, Joe, is that you're not a mayonnaise fan. So that that sucks. 
That really sucks. But I appreciate the five-star review. And I believe, just like Lorne and other people who are not mayonnaise fans, they're really missing out. Okay? I had a mayonnaise and banana sandwich yesterday. So stick that in your pipe and smoke. It's delicious. And I also want to give a shout-out to David Francom, who left a five-star review. So, guys, thank you so much for the reviews. The reviews, like I said, great way to help the show, help the rankings. Um, but what I found out recently, the best way to help the show and help the rankings is to get downloads. So, whatever. You do what you have to do. You listen, and that is like a download, regardless of where you listen. So, spread the word, tell your friends, and we'll keep this train rolling. Uh, also, guys, feel free to reach out to me on social media at S and U Podcast on pretty much every platform: uh, Twitter, um, Instagram at S and U, um, and then Strange and Unexplained on Facebook. If you guys want to uh, jump on there, or if you follow True Crime Guys on any of these uh, social media platforms, there is links to S and U social media pages as well. It's a great way to stay up to date on when I release things because I make a social media post I, I try to on every on all platforms every time I release something whether it's on Patreon um, or whether it's on the free platform or wherever I, I try to keep the listeners up to date that way because I know a lot of people don't want their podcast app you know notifying them every time a new episode is released because you know maybe they subscribe to a hundred podcasts and their phone be going off constantly so I understand that I don't have my podcast app on notifications on for it rather and I use social media a lot to know when people are covering things and whatnot. So I try to do that. Not the best on social media, but I do my best and try to get the word out. So guys, uh, like always, I want to thank you for listening. Uh, I want to thank you for giving me your time and your ears. And um, yeah, I'll see you next week. All right, guys, be strange. Just don't be a stranger.